0: We're going to do a couple of different things today. When you see me, you will know there's missions involved. But uh, first, I want to show you some opportunities. Then, we're going to talk about why we are not getting missionaries. And then, we're going to tell you of a story that comes from the lower Amazon with a guy, I guess I would call him a friend. <laughs> His name is Benjamin, but uh, let's see. I got my clicker on, and let's see. Is my first slide up? He tells me it's coming. Oh, it's updating. I want. I'm looking back there. Uh, this is. Uh, not quite hot off the press, but it's pretty close. Um, The mission has realized that not everyone can go to a Bible school. We realize there are believers at different ages and stages of life who would like Bible training. Preference for us as a mission We'd like you to go to Bible school in Waukesha, Wisconsin. But we realize some of you are going to say, I'm too old to go. And some of you are going to say, well, that's going to take a lot of money. And some of you are going to say, I have a job. I can't leave my job. So we're going to bring the Bible school to you. So if you just take the information off the screen... And as you think about going to particularly get additional training, all you have to do to start is go to the new tribes, pardon me, ethnos. I still haven't got that out of my brain system. But go to the ethnos website and look under the Bible school, and you'll see how you can apply to the Bible school. Uh, you may be a high school senior or junior who would say, you know, I kinda, I'm kind of thinking about Bible school. Well, you could go take a, well, no, you could stay and do a class and then transfer your credits into our Bible school. And if you de- decide not to go to the Ethnos Bible school, you can therefore transfer those credits to the school you go to if it's a Bible school. So that's option number one. Let's see if I get option number two up here. I'm looking at my wife. It's option number two up there. <laughs> option number two is to go Wyumi. Wyoming. And Pastor John and I have been talking about it different times. And he's about twisted my arm. And I've been twisting his arm. Uh, I don't think you've ever had a group go in the summer, have you? Well, we're really encouraging you to consider sending a group this summer, and you can go to the Wyoming uh, website and kind of check it out. Uh, there are three weeks left that people can go. Uh, the cost, it is, uh, the best word we have for it is it's a camp, but it's unlike any camp you will ever go to. I guarantee it. Uh, We have two large churches from Michigan already going this year. I'm working on another, and I'm working on this one. So if you're interested, uh, talk to Pastor on it. Now, we can uh, start. uh, You can leave that up on the screen. We don't need it yet. But you know our issue in missions, particularly with the name of our mission, what it used to be, and I I think I've done this before here I've shown you the list of unreached people groups some of you have seen that some of you have not seen that and so all I need is two people could be guys, gals, doesn't make any difference to me one on either end. Roll that guy out. Now, when we talk about unreached people groups, that's what we're talking about. Uh, these are groups of people who do not have any access to the Bible. None. Uh, By the way, I was watching like you probably have the news the last several days and wondering about Ukraine. And in my mind, I said, there cannot be a tribe in Ukraine that hasn't heard the gospel. Man, that's a civilized place, it looks like to me. Guess what? There's a tribe on there from the Ukraine. And I've had trouble locating even on the internet It's a kind of a small tribe, only 30,000. Gives you an idea of what we're dealing with. So if you'll, if you want to look at that later, we'll lay it out and you can roll it out and look at it. Okay, you can lay that down, roll it out, whatever. I brought a present for Pastor John today. A Bible. Here's a Bible, brother. Nice cover. What do you think?
1: That's really nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, it's blank inside. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what they have. That's all they got. All they have is a blank. Well, they don't even know there is a Bible. They have nothing. So let's kind of look at this thing because we need missionaries. Uh, the, da- the difficulties kind of stand out to us who are missionaries. And they will stand out to you. One is the location of where some of these people live. Some of them are in areas that are controlled. I'll, I'll just say, is this being recorded, John? It probably doesn't make any difference now, anyway. <laughs> After what we've been saying about this guy the last four days, some of these are located in Russia. Some of the people groups would be located in Russia. Many of them are located in China. Some of them are located in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, all those countries that we've tried to learn a new name to us. Some of them are in South America. Some are in Brazil. Actually, there's one listed in Canada. Canada. So they're really almost everywhere. Uh, There's actually, that chart is not ours. If it was a ethnos chart, it would be bigger because we consider a group reached when they are in a local church setting. Our chart comes from Wycliffe and they just say the language has not been translated. So one of the problems as you see in the screen, is going to be location. How many of you have enjoyed the last few days of hearing some Russian spoken? I have no idea what they're saying. Have you looked at the writing of Russian? It looked like to me it's just a bunch of little scrigglies on it. Language is a difficulty, a major difficulty, because if you're going to work in missions, you really are going to have to learn the language of the people you're working with. Now, somebody may have heard or somebody told you, well, we're going to do it through a translator. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You have to know the heart language of the people. So you can understand everything because also involved, you'll notice culture gets involved because not everybody thinks like we do. Pastor John and I had talked about coming a couple of weeks ago, and it didn't work out because your schedule, but I was going to come and do some Valentine's things for you. And uh, what do, what's Valentine's noted for? Just be open. It involves what love, and what do you do? It, what happens in love? <laughs> kissing. Doesn't that doesn't that operate? No, isn't that a big thing? Okay. Do you realize not every culture deals with kissing the way we do? There's a group in New Guinea called the Aiteti. When our missionaries went to work with the Aiteti, they'd been working with them, and they had believers, but one day, one of the Aiteti believers saw our missionary leaving his wife to go to a conference, and our missionary turned around and just casually kicked his, kissed his wife. And the tribal guys are like, what's he doing? What is he doing? We don't do that. So it turned out that our missionary decided to ask him, unknowing, not knowing any of this, decided to ask him to teach on the book of Ephesians about a Husband-wife relationship. So the tribal guy gets up and, you know, he's going to teach what the missionary's been teaching, you know. The missionary never said kiss his wife. That's not in the Bible unless you go back to Song of Solomon. And we weren't in, he wasn't in Song of Solomon at that point. And so the tribal guy gets up and our missionary's supposed to be gone, but it turned out he could set in the back. And so our tribal guys teaching. Then he said, there's something I learned from our missionaries. I didn't know what it was. In their culture, by the way, this is really risque language. Kissing. You, you would never get that out in the open because they don't do it. And so the... The tribal guy says, I saw our missionary licking his wife's lips. And I said, That is the grossest idea. Gross! But I was teaching this, and by that time, his culture cannot let him look at the audience, the other he can't look. so he's got to do it this way. He's got to look at a blank wall because this is extremely personal. And so he says, "I decided that I would lick the lips of my wife, too." I didn't tell her (laughs) because she didn't know what it was anyway. So, the other day, I looked at my wife and I went up to her and I licked her lips. (laughs) And it was good. (laughs) It was good. It's a different culture. Different culture. See, we kind of think kissing is part of life. Depends on where you are. Really. You live in the United States, you hear it here, I guarantee you it. But not every place in the world does that occur. So you're going to have to learn the culture of the people you're with. So you're going to deal with the language, you're going to deal with the culture and the location. But we lack missionaries, desperately lack them. We could actually take all the missionaries we have. We have, give or take, a few hundred, somewhere around 3,000. We could take them all and stick them in Papua New Guinea and we'd still be short. That's just amazing. For somebody, why would we be short? Well, there's all over 800 different language groups there. So we could divide like two apiece, maybe three apiece almost. But we still wouldn't reach them all. So we need desperately need more missionaries. Now, how do you encourage a couple that you support? I know because it it's in your bulletin. I know you I know some other ones you support, though. You have a couple listed in your bulletin today that are in. Very strange circumstance that they've never been in before. Ben and Sarah Lair. Pastor tells me you just got an email from them the other day and they have Ukrainians. I'm going to tell you, going to be more than Ukrainians come. And their church isn't very big, but it's a church. How much do you want them to help? You know, it does take money to feed people. Should the missionaries be feeding these people that come? They aren't going to get any food. No, there are no McDonald's along the highway. So that's one couple. You got to stand with and encourage. You got to encourage them because they're going to need it. So how can you do it? Well, you can pray. You can send emails. You could even call them. You know that's even done today. I I talk to occasionally people overseas now. That's kind of unusual for us. But with our cell phones, we can call a missionary up. It used to be a big deal, man. It used, to, man. I remember when our daughters first went on a short term trip. The only way we could communicate was with a fax machine to ask if they could call us. Man, that's been over 20 years ago. Now you went in, most of us. I bet there's people here don't know what fax machines are. <laughs> could you send a text? You could send a text. There are missionaries, and you, you look at the ways you could just, do. And, and knowing this group of people you got here, some of you would come up with a lot more ideas than I. I'm just throwing something that ran through my brain of how you could encourage and work with your missionaries. Because you've got some other ones. I guess there's the issue of money. We're all going to be dealing with that a whole lot more. Most of you already figured that out. It's going to take money you know what, it's, going to t- it's going to take more money to reach these people. Well, maybe enough of that. Here's some ways to discourage them. How to discourage a missionary. Walk up to them and say, you need to get more education. I've had people say that. And the ones that were saying that to me, I had more than they had. You will not do well on the mission field because you didn't do well in school. We have missionaries in the field that flunked Spanish and they're linguist. <laughs> we have missionaries that are on the field that when they came through our training, we said, uh, we don't think they're very good. <laughs> And they went down, and guess what? Within about two months, they were speaking the Latin national language. Would they ever learn a tribal language? Maybe not, but they were pretty good in Spanish off the street. So, what kind of security can you provide for your family? Let me ask you what kind of security you can provide for your family today here in the United States. Do you have guaranteed security here today? Really, well I'm a, I've got my 401k. Have you looked at the national debt lately? I wouldn't say any of us has a great deal to security. well, I got my house, and the price is going up if anybody can't afford to buy it. Don't count on your security. well, why don't you get a real job? Boy, I've heard that one. Get a real job. And when those people tell, or I hear people say like that, I like to take them and say, okay, you go out there and do it. You go out there and do the job these missionaries are doing. You'll never get enough support. I've heard that one. Your church is too small to support us. I've heard that one. We know of a family that works in Guinea, West Africa. There's more people from here back. Their home church is smaller than this group. You will always be dependent on the church. Yeah, because the church is always dependent on God. That's not a bad option. You're not old enough. Well, how old you got to be then? See, I wouldn't mind that girl there got challenged. You say, well, she's too little. Well, how old do you have to be to be challenged? I was uh I was pretty old. I was 10. <laughs> and that's when God first challenged me about mission. And I hadn't been saved very long. Probably less than a year. You're needed more here. Oh. We need you here. Let's not go there. You'll take my grandchildren away from me. Yes. God will take them and use them. And they're safer with him than with you. Believe that. A lot of of Christian parents haven't been convinced of that. But God knows more and what your child needs than you know. He is omniscient and you're not. Your children will not get a good education. So they're getting a great one now. Don't have to go there. Now we've got to go to South America. Uh, this is... a. Benjamin, I met this guy for the first time back in the late '90s, almost 2000, and I had uh, I was just starting to do what I do now, rep work. Before that, I worked and taught in the institutes, preparing missionary candidates. And we finished that, and they said, uh, "How would you?" No, they didn't say it that way. They said this. I said to them, I'd like to take a overseas trip with a group of teenagers. And the people that was in charge, it was called Summit in those days, they said, uh, we're not sure you can relate to teenagers. You might be too old. I said, well, I believe I can do it. I believe I could do it. And a friend of mine who was alive then was on that committee and he said, uh, Give them a chance. Why have we got to lose? <laughs> so they gave me a chance, and they first told me I was, my wife and I, Kathy, were going to Mexico. About two weeks later, they called me up, and they said, we don't want you to go to Mexico. We want you to go to Bolivia. It didn't make any difference to us. We're just going to go work with a bunch of teenagers in some tribal location. And they said, we want you to go to work with the Yuki Indians, I had heard of the Yuki Indians. I knew they were in Bolivia, but I didn 't know a whole lot about them. The Yuki Indians of Bolivia, they live in the southern Amazon region, uh, when they were first contacted by our missionaries in the early early 50s they would shoot at our missionaries on sight. Not guns, they didn't know anything about guns, bows and arrows. And the history over the years has shown that they had shot some of our missionaries with bows and arrows, with the intent of killing them. No, it wasn't to scare them, they wanted to kill our missionaries. Uh, And over the years, there had been a peaceful connection, and eventually the Uki, which were nomadic, in the early days, settled down. They they got located in one place, which was one of the issues of working in tribal work. <clears throat> if your people that you're working with are nomadic, here they're here one day, and then the next day they're over here, how do you reach them? How do you get their language? And it uh, turned out that uh, the Yuki were... <laughs> The only group that they could find in this section of the Amazon. They numbered, they thought, to be about 150. Maybe less, probably not more. One of the difficulties in reaching the Yuki is nobody spoke their language. You, you say, well, couldn't you use Spanish? No, they didn't know any Spanish. They didn't know nothing but Yuki, Yuki. And what made it more difficult is that they would splinter off into other groups. One of the guys that we got to know was a guy named Kadayu. And Kadayu had left the Yuki because one day there was some argument and one of the other U.K. just stuck a stick right in his wife's eye. There was some thought that it was a burning stick, you know, a hot one. Other thought it was a sharp one. Well, he got mad and basically said, "I'm leaving." Now, leaving to them is he's going to another part of the Amazon. You know, he's not going to go over here to uh, Marlette. He was going to go back into the jungle. And when he left, Kadayu left, he had just him and his wife and a little boy. And a few years later, our missionaries contacted by accident him again. And by that time, him and his wife had a little boy and a little girl. Guess who was the doctor for her? But are you? There, there's no doctors there. So that's kind of how give you an idea of how the UK would operate. Uh, when I first met Ben, I'm getting off the airplane, and uh, the missionary Phil Burns looked at me and said, "This, keep your hands on your luggage." Now, if somebody told you that, what would you think? If you don't keep your hands on it, it's going to walk down the trail without you. <laughs> so now we're going to be there for about six weeks. Kat hadn't flown in on that trip. She was supposed to come later. It didn't work that way. She didn't come in until the next day. But anyway, I've got two big suitcases. I get off the plane and I'm, you know, And when you get off a plane in a lot of these places, well, I had some teenagers, two boys, two or three girls, the pilot. When we were flying into the Amazon area where they live, it went from about 70 degrees in the plane to about 100 degrees in the plane. And I'm sweating from places I didn't know I had sweat pores, but we land in the jungle. And the, it, I heard the missionary say, it's kind of like, you know, you're flying over and it's green Yeah, it's pretty much like green carpet except they're trees. And the pilot flies along the river and then he makes a right-hand turn and flies into the airstrip. See, he didn't tell me, but the river was part of the airstrip. <laughs> it's part of jungle flying, you learn that. So we land it. I'm getting the suitcase out. Phil says, "Keep your hands on your luggage." And I get about from here back to that uh, uh, red cart you have in the back. And Benjamin wants to wrestle. Do I look like a wrestler? <laughs> Even when I was younger, much younger, I did not. Say, maybe the stuff you see on TV. But not the way Benjamin wanted to wrestle. He literally got me on the ground and starting to wrap. I'm like, and I'm just trying to hold on to the suitcases. (laughs) That's all I want was my suitcase. Because it had her clothes and my clothes and food and all that stuff. And Benjamin's like, okay, this is WWF time. Let's go. World Federation of something. And I'm like, how do I get out of this? how do I even get into it? And then I'm thinking also at the same time, I didn't volunteer for this. They never told me back at the headquarters. They didn't tell me that in Sanford. (laughs) Well, Phil Burns casually looked at me, big, tall, lanky guy from Montana, said, Dan, wrestle today and you wrestle tomorrow if you win. But if you lose... It's all over with. What would you do? I surrendered. You know, I chickened out real quick. I didn't take anything. Benamine, almost for that first trip, became almost like a, a bad whatever showing up. We would drink a bottle of, you know, a two-liter bottle of something, which there you couldn't get a two-liter bottle. We'd fly that Coke in that you and I just, you know, we'd fly that in and we'd take the empty bottles and we'd set them out on the porch and they're gone because the Indians taking those. But Ben would come up after lunch and I'm standing there on this little porch, it's probably three by three, and Ben would come up out of nowhere, look at me, and smack the back of my legs. I mean, just leave his fingerprints on them. And I don't know you, key, So I would say, Ben, that's not nice. He just looks at me and smacks me again. how do you reach a guy like this when I don't know his language? I did learn that that was probably better than what they did our first missionaries because when our missionaries when it first went in there, the way they greeted them, they'd get them on the ground and choke them. Just (laughs) choke them until they started to look like, you know, they're about dead. And then they stop and laugh. They weren't doing that, been improvement. <laughs> they weren't doing that when we got there. They didn't choke anybody. But Benjamin wanted to wrestle. And since I was the leader of the group, he had to prove his dominance over me. Well, that, that didn't make any difference to me. It did to him. His culture said, You've got to be dominant here. Benamine. Just a few days before we were going to leave, and they knew we were, we were only going to be there a short time, so I got ready, you know, get my stuff together. And we're having kind of the teenagers, and we're all having fun together. And Ben Amin is sitting over there with his wife. I don't know if, it, if he had two or one. I guess it wouldn't have made much difference. Been no Bible teaching on that. And a couple little girls. He and his wife, the missionaries told me they had lost about four kids in birth or they had died after they were born. Results of where they lived. So I'm over there, and Ben Amin is eating an equivalent to what you and I would think of as a uh, coconut. He's got that off. (laughs) And he gives something to his little girl. That's good, you know. Very honestly, snot is running down her nose, and he offers it to me. Would you take it? Would you take it? And say, oh, you know, gonna re- you want to reach him? In my opinion, this was the first act of kindness he had shown to me. So I'm just. Asking, would you have taken a drink? We you know, with you know all that mucus. That's a nicer word. <laughs> all that mucus, you know, over where you know. I drank it. Didn't die. <laughs> Didn't even get sick. You want to reach them, don't you? If you met Benjamin today, you most likely would find him in, uh, I think the English term is wellies, you no know, boots. Uh, we use them here a lot in Michigan. They're just rubber boots if you work on a, in a farm. Almost every family has them because they don't walk out in the mud this time of year and all that. Well, Benjamin had a pair, of, he'd got the missionaries to get him a pair of wellies. And the reason he did that Because he was after an animal that buried itself into the ground. And when they see an animal that they can eat, they go after it, you know. So Ben had gone in and was chopping away at the dirt and digging it out, you know. And Ben missed, chopped his big toe off. Just chopped it off. And he went to our missionaries. Intermissionaries like Ben, you chop your toe off. <laughs> There's no medical. No, you say, well, well, we'll put it on ice and take it in. You aren't going to do that. You have to call the airplane in. And who's going to pay for it anyway? Because it's going to take about two hours to get the plane here. If you could get it, it's just a big toe. So Ben, kind of embarrassed. He's ashamed what he did. So Ben wears boots now. (laughs) Wherever you see him, he wears boots. Ben wants to show me a big catfish he caught. You would love to eat the fish if you like fish. It's a sula it's a catfish out of the river uh, that the village is located on. When they eat, all the family eats, but not in the order we do. See, in our order, well, it's the American order would be you would eat all together, and Yuki order is you eat first. You eat second. And the kids eat last. And some of you are going to say, well, about if there's nothing left? Well, then there's nothing left. There is no refrigeration. Very little salt for preserving sake. Uh, any little? How, what's the, any boys here about seven, eight years old? Any seven, eight year old boy? How's that little guy there with that? How old is he? In the Yuki, you got to start living on your own. (laughs) Yeah, he's expected to feed himself. He's not going to eat at the there isn't a table, but he's not going to be the eight nine years old. He's already learned how to shoot a bow and arrow. He's already learned how to fish. He's so learning how to catch James. Yeah, yeah. But if you're Yuki, you would. So Ben is showing. But notice he's got his boots on. Got his boots on. Now Ben wanted that picture taken of him because he wanted to show that he's so strong. But really, the log doesn't weigh that much. <laughs> But he figures them Americans, they aren't that smart. They won't figure it out anyway. <laughs> but he could carry quite a bit of weight because see when he goes and his wife goes for firewood because that's the only heat they have is a little bit of firewood and they will go over a mile to get a piece of wood. You, some of you have it delivered to your house. If you have a pellet stove, it comes in a bag. If you're Uki, no, got to go get it. Different world, different culture. And if you were to ask them, what do you think about the war in Ukraine? They would look at you like, what are you talking about? By the way, I should tell you this to be very open and honest with you. I do not know how much your church would sell for, but they could buy it and sell it and have money left over because they have ownership of part of the Amazon jungle and they could sell the wood off of it. But they won't sell anything because that's the area they hunt in. They don't know they have that much money and they wouldn't know all that money to do with They wouldn't know what to do with it. Picture of Ben and me in his younger days with one of his little girls and I think of my last one maybe. There's Ben with his kids that have survived to this point. Used to have Americans working with them As a mission, we decided it would be better to have Bolivians working with them because the Americans could never get down to the standard of living of the Yuki. However poor couple we sent, they could not live at the economic level of a Yuki. So... We had a Bolivian couple that went through our training in Bolivia, and they are now in there. They're the ones in there. We cannot even get Americans in there now because that is in the red zone of Bolivia, which is heavy for drugs. Fortunately, though, missionaries went years ago, gave them the gospel. Is it a thriving church? no have they sent out missionaries no not to my knowledge they struggle to survive economically every day it is what we have to eat today that's important and you're going to say well why don't, don't they think about tomorrow there is no tomorrow it's today Most of the world lives like this, particularly the ones that are unreached. Sometimes you may end up in a tribe that is very prosperous. That's one of the reasons why new tribes became ethnos. The word simply means people. It's a Greek word go ye into all the world, that's ethnos. We have missionaries that work in Thailand. And some of the missionaries are having Bible studies. And in the Bible studies, they are reaching some of the affluent Po Keren people of Thailand. And some of the Po Korean have done pretty well for themselves. They're vice presidents of banks and drive Mercedes. Would you call him a tribal guy? And so we realized because of the internet, we couldn't just keep calling them tribal. They are, but really you are too. You're in some kind of tribe. But well, you never call yourself tribal. Tribal. So we had to come up with a better word and ethnos sounds a lot better to the banker than than your tribal. Because he knows what he thinks tribal and you know what he thinks tribal. So let's just call them an ethnos, a person, people. But how are we going to reach them unless people go? Well, we'll reach them on the internet it'll work in some cases, but not most cases. We'll fly over the jungle and drop gospel tracts out to them. What about if they can't read? What kind of language are you going to use? Wouldn't make much difference to them anyway, whatever language you use, they can't read. It's going to take people who are saying, willing to say, like your song said before preaching, Lord, here I am. Take me, Lord. Basically, that's all your song was saying. Take me. Just use me, God. That's Just use me. I, I'm not particularly picky about what you do, God. Just use me. But you do have to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send my husband and myself. Send my wife and me. Send my grandchildren. Send my children, Lord. In conclusion, I'll ask you this question. Would you prefer for your young person, your children, your grandchild, your husband, your wife, whatever, to be given some great scholarship to play for the University of Michigan in some sport? Or would you rather say, Lord, take them and use them for your glory. Pastor John.
1: If you guys would, go ahead and bow right there where you are. We're going to have our praise team come. And they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. And as they come, and as you begin to pray right there where you are, I would just ask you to reflect over what you've heard this morning. To begin now to ask God, Lord, what is your call for me? Lord, how are you desiring me to be involved in seeing these people come to know Christ? Again, maybe... You have limitations that you've put on yourself. You have things that you think keep you from serving, from going. Maybe you feel like, Lord, I could never do that because of this or that reason. Maybe you've had people in your life that have tried to discourage you with all those things that we heard as examples of things that, well, yeah, but there's no security in that. You can't provide for your family that way. You're not smart enough. You're not old enough. You're too young. You've got too much education. It seems like if we really wanted to, there's always an excuse to not do what God is calling us to do. But how is God leading in your life? Maybe you're here and you're like, Lord, I know that you're calling me to missions in some way. I've surrendered to that. I believe I'm following your leading and to make that happen. And so we praise God for you. Maybe there's somebody here that feels that call and you're a younger person. Maybe second, third, fourth grade, a teenager. Maybe now you'd begin to say, Lord, I know that I'm 10 or 12 or 14, but uh, help me now to start doing what I need to do to get ready for that time, to take steps to prepare myself for that call and whatever that looks like as opportunities come. Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would be working in and through our hearts and minds. Thank you for, thank you for Dan Lord and just his passion for you and for missions. But Lord, really that's a passion you're calling all of us to have. And Lord, I know realistically you're not calling everyone in this auditorium to go overseas. You have roles and calls and positions that you have people called to both here and globally. But, Lord, those missionaries in those jungles uh, can't do what they do without churches back here in the States and other places as well, all over the world, that are supporting those missions. And so, Lord, whatever it is that you're doing this morning, I pray that we'd be responsive to it, be open to it, surrendered, desiring to see you move in and through this time this morning. Father, do what only you can do. May we worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to have a time of invitation. And as you're standing, if you feel God's call in your life, maybe you want to just come for or come pray for our missionaries. Maybe for the layers, you would come and say, Lord, I'm going to come pray for the layers as they're serving in Poland. Maybe for yourself, maybe for someone else, whatever it is that God is doing, would you respond as we pray this morning and respond to what God is doing as we worship him?